show and tell. That's our calling as a church, to show God's love, embody it, to tell it, proclaim it, and that has been the direction that the church has been in, uh, beginning in the middle of the summer, right about the time that I left on a 12-week sabbatical. And with the stories that I've heard this past week, you have been doing that well. You have been embodying God's love. I've heard some really, really sweet stories. You have been proclaiming and telling God's love for us in Jesus Christ. Uh, Certainly that's been happening through the leadership, um, Kurt and his preaching, and not just his proclamation on Sunday, but the many, many gifts he has as a multi-talented pastor. So it's been a joy to come back and hear the good news, the showing and the telling that's been going on in this church. We're going to continue in Romans 8, and I invite you to turn with me. This is just one paragraph in a letter, a very long letter, that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. This comes at the end of his ministry, and so it's a very thick and distilled substantive letter. And so we're pulling out one paragraph because it's in the theme of the good news we have that God is bringing a new heaven and a new earth. So listen to God's word. I'm going to pray so that God will help us listen by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to read this scripture to you, verses 18 through 25. Let's pray. Lord, you, you are... You have been, you are coming again. So we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we will be with you, listening to you, as clearly as when you sat with your disciples 2,000 years ago. Amen. Listen to God's word to you. Paul writes, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved, Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we wait for what we do not see, if we hope, rather, for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. The sufferings of this present time. Wow. This last Monday... Early in the morning, Tanya Fouts posted on Facebook something that many of us read later that day. She wrote, wildfire in our immediate neighborhood, high winds, we have evacuated with pups, condition of our home unknown, 
prayers for safety of all the people and their animals. Many of you, like me, were watching and reading her posts and what other people were saying. And about 12 posts down, she wrote this, which took my breath away. Our house is gone, too. Of course, their situation has been multiplied thousands of times. I don't even know how many. It's probably still going on right now. The more and more homes are being taken and businesses. And I know that some of you are housing people who have evacuated right now in your home. The sufferings of this present time. Last weekend, I was in Yosemite with family and driving there and being there, the drought, the bark beetle, the fires, I would say half the trees are dead. The whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. That's a very striking phrase in general, but especially for us. The sufferings, the groaning. I was listening to several of the sermons, not all of them, but as many as I could uh, over the last several weeks and months. And last Sunday, in Kurt's sermon, he mentioned the groaning that was going on over the shooting rampage in Las Vegas that had just happened the week before. People just having a good time at an outdoor concert and this crazy stockpile of assault weapons in a hotel room by a man who showed no signs of being crazy. Just that rampage, just this groaning. What is going on? And before that, it was the devastation of hurricanes. So the groaning is loud. It's loud in our ears. The groaning and the sufferings are dominant in the news that we are hearing constantly, the whole creation. And Paul takes this groaning all the way back to Genesis 3. The story of when the children of God broke ranks with God, they decided to go it on their own. And according to the biblical story, the ripple effect of that separation put a deadly curse-like effect on everything, what Paul describes as a bondage to decay, a creation subject to futility, groaning in labor pains until now. But even though the groaning is loud, and we can see it, and we can smell it, and it's right in front of our face, I think it's important for us to focus where Paul focuses. And Paul focuses on this evocative metaphor, or I want us to focus on it because I think it's where Paul's going, which he's saying groaning in labor pains. Labor pains. What do we know about labor pains? I personally don't know because I've never given birth to a child. But we, those of us, all the men in this room, are humbled by the fact that we don't know, number one, just how acutely painful they are. 
Men are often told when they have kidney stones that that's as close as you're going to get to understanding what a labor pain feels like. Or anybody, actually. So they're painful, aren't they? Women that have given birth, painful? Yes. But that's not all, is there? They are also the prelude to the miracle of new life. Such a miracle, such a glory, such a blessing that women are willing to wave off the pain. When I came back, uh, Michael Leach, Angela Sayuthi, they had given birth uh, to their second child, their daughter. I think her name is Aviana. So this picture is in my email. It was like this glorious gift in the midst of hundreds of emails. This picture of Aviana. Beautiful. So pregnancy is this metaphor for hope. Yes, there is suffering. There's the suffering of labor pains, but there is the promise. There's the expectation, the delight of a new life. And it's not just new creation. This is a new beloved, new child, new children. And that's where Paul goes. What's coming is the revealing of the children of God. Children who are no longer broken in relationship with God and one another. So there's that newness to being God's children. There's also the new body, the redemption of our bodies. You look at the skin of a baby. It's so the opposite of my skin right now. (laughs) Newness, the redemption of our bodies. You know, Jesus used this metaphor when he was teaching his disciples about what was coming. In Mark 13, 7 and 8, we read that he said this, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Birth pangs. The Old Testament carried this promise that God was going to create a new heavens and a new earth, but the Old Testament had no idea that God would come in the flesh and enter into our suffering in Jesus Christ and turn our suffering and our death and our bondage into the labor pains of new life. But Jesus knew that. So he reassures his followers that when suffering comes, know that creation is pregnant with God's promise of a new creation. And Paul reassures the church that in the midst of the sufferings of this present time, we can have hope like a pregnant mother in labor pain. But it's not easy to focus on the hope. It's so much easier to focus on the groaning and on the sufferings, isn't it? Because we can see those, we can hear those, we can smell them. They're right in front of us. And our hope is unseen, in Paul's words. And then he goes on to say, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I don't know. How are we doing with that? You know, one of the things, as I have been walking, um, I've been out of the country, and I was walking in Spain on the Camino, 
this long pilgrimage walk. I walked part of it, listening to different people, but also listening right here in our own neighborhood, in our own country, where I see hopelessness most alive among us is in our divisions, what I call this Grand Canyon that is dividing us. Those that self-identify as liberal, those who self-identify as conservative, those who vote Republican, those who vote Democrat, those who voted for Trump, those who can't believe that anybody would vote for Trump. It's this Grand Canyon that's going like that. One of the best gifts that I had on my sabbatical was taking a break from the news for at least a month. I just didn't listen to the news, which was wonderful. And at one point, I would come back after doing some walking on the Camino um, and typically try to get on Wi-Fi and post some pictures on Facebook, and then I, I didn't have any time to do more than that. So I wasn't looking at the news. But I did put my toe back in one evening when I was, after I'd posted some things, and I was scrolling down and reading things, and it was right in the midst of all the furor over Colin Kaepernick and interpretations of his behavior, those who joined him, and there was this name-calling and there was this escalation, and I don't want to minimize whatsoever the deep-seated issues of racism that the church is called to face, but what I noticed right away in just dipping my toe back in was the widening of the chasm further, further apart, deeper and deeper, more and more hopeless, this great divide in our country, but also in our families, in our homes, and in the church. I'm reading a book. I'm supposed to finish it next week. We'll see how that goes. It's called The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion by Jonathan Haidt. He's a social psychologist, which is very enlightening in terms of why it's so divided. But I'm not quite sure he's going to have any solutions. Paul was writing to a church in Rome that was hopelessly divided as well. Very different kind of division, but it was the Jews and the Gentiles. Very, very divided. A huge Grand Canyon for them, too. The Jews felt superior to the Gentiles for reasons that could be obvious, which is they were the recipients of the law, the prophets, the covenant, the promise. The Gentiles, though, felt superior to the Jews because they are the ones who received God's Messiah, who received God's initiative of grace in Jesus Christ when the Jews did not. And yet in the midst of this Grand Canyon divide, Paul is hopeful. He's hopeful not because all the Gentiles will become like Jews, and not because all the Jews will become like Gentiles. He's hopeful because God is birthing a new creation in Jesus Christ, which will set free all of God's children from our bondage to decay, that we will have the freedom of the glory of the children of God, which means, like Jesus, trusting fully in God and loving one another. It's a new creation God is bringing.
in Jesus Christ. When I was on the Camino, walking the Camino del Compostela, it's the way of St. James, it's about, the classic road is about 500 miles long, and no, I did not walk 500 miles. I did walk about 150, which was a lot for me. But when you're walking like that, it's interesting. You can be walking and talking with people and go really deep, really fast. I think there's something about having the time, the fact that you're not looking at each other, you're just looking straight ahead. I don't know what it is, but I had some of the most meaningful conversations with people from around the world that I've ever had. There was one guy, his wife was walking with my sister um, behind us a ways back, and he was also on sabbatical from his teaching post in the Midwest. He teaches um, chemistry. And so, we, first of all, we started talking about our sabbaticals. And then it turns out he grew up in South Africa. So then we started talking about things going on in our countries and in our country, because this is his homeland now, our issues. What needs healing here? The divisions, the hopeless divisions, became a big topic. And he was surprisingly open with me. And he wanted me to know right off the bat, because he knew I was a pastor, that he was a devout atheist. And I was pretty open with him. I felt this real freedom to just talk about what was going on inside me. Not that I had all the answers, but I did have this abiding hope. And I'm not quite sure how I talked about it, but I talked about the fact that I had this abiding hope that God is bringing a new day. Not through anything we will dream up necessarily, but in the way of Jesus Christ. God is bringing a new day. The very next day, I had another significant conversation with another woman walking on the Camino, and she reminded me so much of Jean Oxton. Any of you who have been around, one of the teachers at our preschool is just a fireball of wit and humor. And in fact, I told Jean, I said, I met you on the Camino. And this particular woman, she was a therapist from Montana. She was wearing this backpack that was bigger than she was. She was going to walk the whole 500 miles. She just was extremely fun to talk to. And I want to read to you what I put in my journal entry, very brief, the next day. We had a great talk today about the election, the country, the division, the despair. I told her my own journey with that and trusting that God slash Jesus has a better way. Hope. We talked about the importance of hope and my antidote to despair. I'm so glad you told me this, she said. Now, I really don't know what I said, and I'm pretty sure that whatever I said was not something that you would be that impressed with as my congregation. <laughs> but I do know this. I felt it alive in me, and I feel it alive in me. Paul writes, in hope we were saved. And notice that that is past tense. It's already happened. It's something we already have in Jesus, who has taken on the suffering and the groaning and the futility and the bondage and the decay and the death of this world and moved into resurrection life and has given us these birth pangs of hope of what he is bringing, already done and is bringing. We don't see it yet. That's why it's called hope. But we know it is coming. Because as Paul said, and this is what was striking to me in this passage, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. 
we have Jesus alive in us like a pregnant mother who feels hopeful. How can these women that are posting these pictures of themselves at like 36 weeks just smiling away knowing what's coming with these labor pains because they got this life alive in them. They know what's coming. This glorious new creation that is a miracle of God. Most people, when I ask them, when have you experienced God, they will point to the birth of their child. It's a miracle. Yes, it was their stuff from their bodies, but it was a miracle of God. My devotional yesterday had this in the intercessory prayer. Sovereign God, you gather all people to yourself in Christ Jesus. In hope, we pray. Make us one in you, O Lord. It's past tense, it's present, and it's future. I know the suffering's loud. I know the groaning is loud, really loud. I know the divisions are huge and insurmountable. The chasm is deep and deepening. But they were for Paul too. And he's convinced that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings, are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.